another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. And we're back for another episode of the Unicorns. And this week, we're featuring the ever-popular sector of commercial drones, Carbonics is a world-leading designer and manufacturer of quality commercial drones and unmanned aerial vehicles. Carbonics drones are made in Australia and are at the forefront of UAV commercialization, having partnered with Ausgrid, the ACT Rural Fire Brigade, and ANU for a range of different projects that utilize their long-distance aircraft. And I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by the CEO of Carbonics, Philip Vanderberg. Philip, welcome to the program. Hi, good to see you. Okay, Carbonics is synonymous with drones. It's a business that's making huge waves both here in Australia and overseas in the UAV space. When did you first get involved with Carbonics? I've been part of the Carbonics team for about over two years now. Uh, initially, starting more on the uh, the financial side uh, with the company, and then you're really running the commercial uh, uh, side as well, and really kind of you know, talking to our customers and really and getting them and, and partners, um, trying to make you know both all the whole industry great. Uh, and then it recently moved into the uh, CEO position. Okay. And when you're describing what Carbonics does, how do you describe what the business is all about? Again, kind of going very high level, we see ourselves very much as a, um, as use the analogy of a, a cordless drill, right? So we're seeing a lot of applications that we are going into and use cases already been done by current means, such as through helicopters or trucks or you know, people walking along railroads trying to understand and, and inspect their assets. Um, we see ourselves as, well, we can actually do the same thing, but so much more effectively at, and, and it was reduced cost. That's really where, what, what Carbonics is about. Okay. Um, I've, I've previously featured one of the founders, Dario, uh, on the podcast what is it that makes Carbonics drones different to some of the other players in the very popular drone sector? Um, it's interesting. I think where Dario and again the experience from where you know our heritage as a company very much comes from the you know, intricate and, and complex composite designs and, and and kind of you know and, and aerodynamic efficiencies. And it's it's interesting to see how we, particularly in the data collection space that we're playing in, is very, that those are kind of key attributes to actually having an effective system and, and actually adding value to, you know, to our customers. Um, you know, the, the fact that we can, you know, the, the aerodynamic efficiency, the stability of the platform allows us to collect better data as an example with, you know, you know, limited pixel uh, blur through, you know, photogrammetry use cases for our customers and therefore makes our system much more viable uh, for those use cases than other systems out there. Okay, you've mentioned data collection there. What sort of data are you collecting? I think that the, the element keep part of that the data is, is it's this variety of data right it's so it's imagery it's it's it's, it's lidar it's, it's video um, we've had people come up with you know kind of can we start sniffing um, for for smoke but actually it all comes down to critical data right so it's all about okay. you need to collect data for for critical missions if people do not have this data they will have uh, they will have big problems such as you know osgrid being an example or any of the kind of <clears throat> any of the utility asset owners you know every year in advance of bushfire uh, season they need to monitor and inspect all their power lines for vegetation encroachment 
and effectively as soon as you know kind of they've done their scans need to start cutting away so that by the time bushfire season starts in september um you know they all their kind of all their assets are free of vegetation and 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 effectively de decrease significantly decrease the um uh, the fuel load around around those assets for for uh, bushfire burning. Is that what you did in the Osgrid example? Tell us about that in in some detail. Yeah, so this is exactly what well, what we're going to be doing with Osgrid. Osgrid again currently and and, and similar other uh, utilities out there actually have have a significant amount of assets. In Osgrid's case, seventeen thousand kilometers worth of of power lines above ground that need to be scanned every year. And they'll do that there in, in, in effectively as close to bushfire season as possible, right? Because the other thing is you're also in spring, so vegetation seems you know, tends to grow a little bit faster than you know in, in other months of the year. Um, and therefore, you know, they need to really rapidly scan the, 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 those assets. Um, and where there is too much encroachment, they need to start trimming them down. So by the time they get to September, they're they're, they're free. Um, and the way they're doing this is effectively utilizing currently they're using helicopters to do this. Mm. Um, which is a very costly uh, process. Um, you know, if you look at kind of we, you know, if you look at kind of, the, and also there's a, a big carbon footprint. It's very noisy. You know, it's very disruptive for their communities. And if you, you can see this, what Osgood, they have this digital transformation program. Um, and part of and this is where our, our drone fits in and our, our drone program fits in is it's really about it's it, it's it's focusing on that you know those, those environmental and those social and uh, impacts that that a company like Osgrid has um, with their on their stakeholders um, and also at, at a significant significantly reduced cost right so you know based on some of the information that we've seen so far we can probably you know reduce their costs from from their current means of collecting this data by about you know about eighty percent. So who are who are some of the customers, your commercial clients that you that you're working with? There's a couple of ones that we're we're looking to announce uh, shortly as well, which are, are really going to be you know I think testament of you know uh, the belief in the technology and and the use cases that we that we we provide for. Other customers that we work with historically are you know Hitachi, Fujitsu. Um, we're currently working. I think there was a big announcement. Or you probably may have seen it uh, around ANU. Interesting mm. also, again, around that, that bushfire use case. Interesting on that one particularly is that, yes, it still sits on the bushfire theme, but a very different um, use case where, you know, they are sending effectively a drone to go after a storm and to see if there are any hotspots um, after mm. this. It's that situational awareness and that, that ease of deployment um, that we really kind of pride ourselves on um, to work in those use cases. In a case of an active bushfire, how quickly can your drones be deployed? So, uh, you know, even by a, a non-technical team like myself, you can probably set those guys up in about 15 minutes. And then what's the range of your aircraft? How far can they fly? How long can they stay in the air? What's what's the range? And I presume that um, you can also do night flying as well. Correct. So the range effectively, you know, what, again, this is where we're really aiming to break that kind of like 800 kilometer mark. And that kind of, you know, it gets into a range, uh, so in, into a flight time of roughly about you know ten to twelve hours. And we've got to be also realistic, right? So currently, you know, you need there's a whole bunch of regulations that sit uh, that, that sit around that, like such as what we call beyond visual line of sight flying, because when you're flying 800k, you know, people can't see it anymore. Actually, VVLOS, as they call it, that already happens after 1.5k. Now I can tell yes. you that most um, people flying DJI drones will probably get beyond that. They don't even know that they are breaking the rules, but that's. Um, um, an interesting kind of side, side note. The, but the, for us, the, 
it's it's the range and 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 the, the time in the air which then translates into kind of you know again a different use case because time in the air allows you to be create a lot you know cover a larger area of, of data uh, or a larger area of inspection or monitoring whereas in the case of osgrid or pipelines such as you know or railroads that's where you, you know, can't keep a helicopter in the air for 12 hours no and this is interesting so but this is where this is the interesting uh, very good point right a helicopter has a flight time of about four hours but can fly very fast so its range is significantly longer but the thing is, is if you are trying to collect data, particularly LiDAR data, you need, need to actually fly low and slow, mm. as we say. Mm. And therefore, you know, if you compare our speed, cruise speed, to collect the data, uh, which is optimized, and this is, again comes back to the airframe, is optimized for you know, that LiDAR data collection, compare that then to a, um, a helicopter, we could stay in the air for you know, twice as long. And so how is, the, how is your business, Carbonics, changed since inception since it first began to where we are now approaching the end of 2022 it's interesting i think i'm listening to you know, even you know, dario's and i think he would explain to before and you know we've been very much you know we, we, the, 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 there was a vision about you know creating easily deployable long-range drones and what we're seeing is that you know the kind of and, and the customers weren't really kind of you know they were they were, weren't even aware there's still a lot of awareness to be created and where we're seeing now is that the market has actually transitioned from that awareness into that kind of consideration phase. And for us, it's really about, you know, working with customers and becoming very customer centric around, okay, so you want a long range drone, you want to fly for X many hours, this is the mission you want to do. You're currently doing this with helicopters. How are, so, but how does it actually, how are you actually going to deploy this in a business as usual operations mm. in, 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 you know, with, with your team? Right, and how are you going to fly it? And, there's, and this is—it's interesting to see—is that you know we've cracked eighty percent of that. We've got an airframe, etc., that flies. But then the actual, and we have the sensor, and everything's going to be bolted in. But you know, even when we're talking to you know some of our customers, they're very—they they need to be—they're—they're not a hundred percent kind of, of uh, fully understand yet how they're going to be incorporating it. They—they they, mm. they know they're—they're they're investing in it, but the, the, to finesse that. There's a lot of learnings on both sides of the table, right? Both on our side and on the customer side. And it's really interesting to see that we've got large customers um, and, and really big brands coming online with this this kind of you know, what we call a you know, development route of like, let's work together on making you guys more effective. And problem solving. Hmm. And, problem, and, solve, and solving your, the customer's problems. So what are the commercial applications of your, of your drones? And what's, what's the limit? What can you do with them? Well, there is no actually. If you think about it, anything that has you know think wants to fly very far, it's it, it, it's, it's it's limitless. And this is one of the things that we you know we are very focused on you know particular end markets and and um, and what we kind of call you know verticals in those end markets. So when mm -hmm. we're talking about you know linear infrastructure, right? So very you know, we I, I was at a show last week in Vegas with the commercial UAV show in um, <clears throat> in the US. And, you know, I said to them, look, I don't get out of bed on, you know, if it, you know below you know, 200 miles uh, of range. Um, and it's interesting because all the other guys there were like, they were, you know, big multi-rotors, heavy lift, you know, that big brash American, you know, you love bigger is better kind uh -huh. of mentality. Yep. Um, Got to love them for it. Um, but it's interesting to see where, <clears throat> you know, the application of that, that long range, even though it has um, still some hurdles to go through, as, as I just mentioned, it's it's that's the one that really you know kind of gets people's juices flowing, 
right? I said, oh, yes. really? Have you, you've cracked it? I said, yes, technically we've cracked it, but there's a whole bunch of other things that we still need to do, you know, together with working with yourselves and with the regulators. Oh, yeah, but that really, and the, 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 the impression that you're getting from those prospective customers, I say, and the use cases, and the tickets, yeah, this is, this is where we can really see kind of, you know, it's it becoming really effective and really helping us and save us money and, you know, and, and, and do better. Um, so this is what, and what I'm trying to say with this is like, yes, the, the, I can do, you know, we've been talked to people have asked, oh, but can you also do delivery? I said, no, well, I can, but I don't, right? I, I, my, I'm, I'm really, so the aircraft is designed very much for data collection, and this is where it really comes into its own. Um, but there's also people saying, well, you know, and, and, you know, kind of, have you done all this, particularly on the sensor side, you know, like I was talking about sniffers, we're talking about, you know, other kinds of, you know, I've not heard that expression before, sniffing, sniffers with drones. It's an interesting, there's, there's a couple of companies out there who are building effectively what they call sniffers, so where you fly a drone and you, you kind of start measuring particles of smoke as you know, parts per million in the air. And therefore, you could, mm. like a, it's like a dog, right? They can, you, you can actually sense or see that there's smoke around and then based on, again, other meteorological data, that, you know, kind of where, where is the fire, and particularly around this whole bushfire prevention, which of course has become a very big um, theme across the globe, not only in Australia two years ago, recently in the US and in Europe as well. Um, so th it's, and that's another thing, right? So that, that real situational awareness, being able to deploy an aircraft safely with without a human in there um, and to get an understanding of what the situation is. This is what we call the situational awareness suitcase, uh, uh, use case. So it's, it's that, it, it, it's those two real kind of focus areas that we, 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 we tend to, where our aircraft lends itself best for and where effectively it's been for designed as well. That's where we want, that's where we're focusing. Uh, Philip, are you getting interest from overseas? I know you're an Australian-based company, but tell me about um, the inquiries you've had coming coming in internationally. Well, this is, again, this is interesting, right? So Australia kind of, I think, always sees it, it punches very much above its weight. Um, and, it, you know, we've got, you've got some great use cases with the large miners, big assets uh, owners of in the utilities and, and in the oil and gas. But, you know, for us, the, the U.S. market is always something that we look to with um, great fullness. Um, you know, we see it really as a, as a beachhead for us um, you know, over the next couple of years. And you know, as I as I mentioned just now, I was in the you know, commercial UAV trade show last mm -hmm. week, and there was a whole bunch of other Australian companies, which is actually great, and it's really good to see that cohort go out there. But there's you know, that that for us is you know, we're and we're seeing interest even, even outbound. Like we've we've we were kind of we've been dipping our toe there for the last uh, six to twelve months, and I, I really mean kind of you know, starting to build some partnerships. And to build those relationships is hard from when you're so far away. But I think you know to see the amount of you know capital that's being invested in innovation, you know the, the scale at which people operate, the scale at which people think, are really the kind of you know the, the, the big incentives for us to to look at that market even more closely. And 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 you know, we've been getting interest uh, from a variety of you know, on this. I would say the defense or commercial defense side to, you know, on the delivery side, but very much again, you know, on the markets that we're focused on being the linear inspection. How do you get the drones in the air? What's the takeoff procedure? How does that happen? It's effectively, like I said, about a 50 minute setup. So it's a, it's a two man in a van and you just take the box out and you clip it all together. That would take about, you know, uh, 10, 10, 12 minutes. And then effectively you would have your missions almost pre-programmed in. Uh, and then okay. it's literally almost you press a button and, and off you're off to the races. 
And do you need what, what's happening on the ground when the aircraft is flying? You've got a pilot on the ground, or what, what's um, what, what's happening on the ground? So this is where there's a, a separation between what's technological possible and what's required by the regulators. The what we're seeing is that if, yes, there is a pilot on the ground, and yes, there is a what we call a payload operator. Mm-hmm. It depends a little bit on the payload. When you're flying like lidar scans, you know you just fly a set mission, and you don't need to adjust your 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 data sensor whilst you're whilst you're flying. If you've got a what we call a, a gimbaled camera, it was like a, an ISR yes. video camera. <clears throat> for, you know, that's where you would have someone on a joystick looking at like, oh, I see a car there, but I actually need to you know follow that car or move it to the right. Uh, there's already a lot of automation and intelligence in, happening there, but effectively you'd have you know, two people kind of managing the, both one the, the flight system and the other one the, the payload system. But actually, when you're seeing it, kind of, and depending on the mission, particularly on set missions, what things that you'd be flying for, like the Osgrids of this world, or, or when you're scanning linear infrastructure, it's very much a set mission. So you set it up, you press a button, it launches, and this is what we call the pilot needs to have his hand above sticks. So he doesn't need to control it; he just needs to have be there and make sure he's got to be ready. Mm. He's got to be ready in case something goes wrong. But part of what we're developing, and again, this is a longer route you know, going forward over the next couple of years, the amount of redundancies, the fail-safes, that you get a fully autonomous flight, but actually you, know, you don't need a pilot to be physically there you know, with the aircraft. The pilot can be sitting you know, 50,000, 50 miles up the road in a remote operating station. Um, and, there, and this is where you're seeing you know, you're getting, you know, well, you know, a lot of people are, there's a bit of talk about you know, one to many, so where you're saying you've got one pilot flying you know, five to 50 drones. And have you ever had a situation where something's gone wrong and the drone has had to come back to base? Does that happen automatically? What what happens there? Um, yeah. So again, these are part of the fail safes that that, that that I talked about. So if there's if it loses connection or if there's anything going wrong, there's an automated trigger where we call a return to land, and effectively it will just automatically look at its route because of what it was programmed on the system and it will just fly back as the, effectively the way it came. Is it weather dependent? Can you fly, say, for example, in high wind? or in heavy rain? What are, what are the limitations? Um, there are, uh, it's interesting that the limitations are not necessary on the drone itself. Um, if you talk, particularly if you talk about wind, again, if you look at the design of the drone compared to some of our um, other players out there, it is very uh, aerodynamic and therefore very effective to be able to fly in those high wind conditions. With the, with the rain side, I think the limiting factor there very much depends on the sensor as well, right? LiDAR, as an example, and this is, again, the core, one of the core use cases and marks that we're focused on, which is very relevant for the linear infrastructure. Um, you know, you can't, you can't, it actually doesn't work whilst you're flying through, uh, through heavy rain. At the end of the day, once you're flying you know, for 800, 800 kilometers, you know, the fact that you may encounter some you know, uh, alternate you know, weather <clears throat> situations than you may probably anticipate it um, is, is all, would always be the case. So it, it's effective on, it's still effective on like a, a, a little bit of rain, but if you're kind of like gushing rain, it's that's not really where that... Probably not the best idea to go flying. Not, not, yes. not to go flying. Um, you know, people have said, yeah, but criminals don't, you know, they, they don't only, they're not fair weather people. <laughs> fair enough. But, you know, and this is where... For the rain. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But and but this is again part of you know the whole development program. So by the time you know we're we're looking at kind of making our you know kind of you know IP rated for those particular situations, you know, and therefore you know it, it can be more um, uh, more deployable. But what we're seeing is that weather is currently not the limiting factor for deployments mm. um, with our customers. 
And how, um, Philip, is that data being collected? For example, if you're um, surveying an area, is, is all of that being recorded or is it being beamed back live to, uh, to the ground? Talk, talk us through that, that process. Yeah, it, and this is interesting, right? So the, it again depends a bit on the use case. So when you're looking about LiDAR data, you know, a lot of it's, it's, it's quite data intense and heavy, and particularly if you go long range when we're flying SATCOM through satellite communications. You know, the, the cost associated with beaming data back to base when you don't actually need it real time. Therefore, you know, we just store it on uh, on board and effectively, you know, it gets, gets stored onto a data drive. And after the mission, you just take the data drive back out. But when you're looking at particularly, you know, the, the more what we call the surveillance uh, surveillance uh, use cases, where you know you do need that real time capability, um, it gets streamed straight back to either GCS or into the effectively it can be whether it's done through radio. But when we're starting looking at like LTE technologies so like you know 4G, 5G, similar to your mobile phone or even Satcom. We can just ping it straight to the cloud, where actually it can be then they analyzed quickly through you know on an AWS server as an example, um, and then you know be uh, and then provide insight sites to um, the respective uh, end user. So, what sort of drones do you have? I understand they're called the Volanti and the Domani. What um, what's the difference between those two, and 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 how big are they? So we see them very much. We're kind of merging them into almost a, what we call a, a one product uh, uh, structure, where we're saying yes, we've got two aircraft. One is 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 a smaller kind of you know fully electric two hour capability, but the other one is effectively an extension of that. So to in order to gain a six hour to six to twelve hour kind of capability, you need to have a a big airframe. Uh, because it needs, to, you know, it needs to carry a, a petrol engine. You're not going to get that out of batteries. They unfortunately don't last too long. We've toyed with the fact, okay, can we just put more batteries in? Didn't work. We still need to look at, at petrol. We're looking at hydrogen as well going forward. But you know, there's those are they're effectively they're, they're, they're two aircraft, but effectively of the same uh, genesis. So one is just creating that, you know, kind of that really that extended the extended range. Um, and that's the one where we're really looking kind of where we're seeing ourselves differentiating in, into the uh, the global marketplace. You've spoken about the regulator, uh, CASA, Civil Aviation yes. Safety Authority. What are the rules, Philip, around sending one of your drones up into the air on a mission? So it's interesting. The the, the it's almost the three parts, right? To it. To one is the the actual the the, the drone or the system itself. You've got the airspace and you've got the operator. Um, and this is where it becomes, again, very mission specific almost because particularly on the linear infrastructure where you know, the airspace doesn't change, right? So when you talk about if we're scanning you know, power lines, you, those power lines aren't going to move anytime soon. So that will kind of stay, um, uh, they'll stay the same. We'll see the, the, the operator is, 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 a, is a big part, like how are they certified, are they able to fly, et cetera, on the, um, uh, on the aircraft. Um, and then the aircraft itself, what kind of redundancies does it have in place and how, how is it built, um, et cetera. Part of it, it effectively becomes a formula, right? And as part of the, the, the what you call a, <clears throat> a, a sale rating. And there, depending on the rating you get, you need to have certain mitigations in place to fly a certain mission. So if you're flying over like a, a more populated areas and CASA has a very um, 
interest, I would say, interesting definitions of what a populated area is. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, that could even mean if, like, if there's one person walking below you, below the, the aircraft system, and the aircraft system were to fail and it fall off, that would be considered a populated area. Anyway, getting into the technicalities of it, um, but it's it's it's, very, it's all about safety, right? And that, that's what they're there for. Um, and to, so it's 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 that formula that that formula that allows you, or depends very much about, and kind of very it's very much done on a situation by situation basis. Um, to determine are you able to fly a particular mission. But those are the, key, the three key variables. And do you have to, before every mission, do you have to submit, say, a flight plan? Only in, in no. It's effectively, we, the, the only guess where, you, you, where you're submitting a flight plan is when you start to look at those, what, you know, the beyond visual line of sight uh, certification for, for a certain mission. So once that mission, once, so the first time you fly that mission, yes. But after that, you can kind of, You've done it before, and you've got the exactly, you've got the yeah. the tick from the regulator. So, what's planned, Philip? Obviously, Carbonics has been around for a little while now. Your your staff is growing. Your tech's getting better. You're you're adding new systems. What can we expect from Carbonics in the future? What does that look like? Um, yeah, I think we, you know, there's a, as I mentioned before, right? There's a, there's a, there's a big educational piece. I think you'll see more kind of partnership and customer announcements um, over the next uh, couple of months um, as well as we and the industry grows and, 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 and matures. Um, I think there's a lot, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of work to be done on, on, on maturity. And particularly if we look at kind of like for us, we see you know, there's a more value, you know, we see a value accretion um, uh, vision on our drones, right? So once we start to build more capability and intelligence on our drones, that is what is really going to enable our customers to be more effective. And therefore, you know, our scale, you know, scaling the market very much sits on the, the that value accretion as well as, which then kind of has the other side of the kicker, is building more drones. No, we've you know again there's the, you there's going to be some partnership announcements over the next as I said couple of weeks um, around that which will really you know all fit into kind of what I'm telling what I'm saying here and uh, you're, you're teasing us Philip I am um, and what about you <laughs> what about the commercial model is it is it a fee for service how um how do you work with your commercial partners so and then this this works really well for us bring them people on this this is what we call it our, our development roadmap right where as we get to maturity of the industry and and the customers itself is the way we st- we are selling this is very much around what we call an as a service model um and i kind of jokingly say you know guys at the end of the day this is just a wet lease which it is currently right so we will own the asset we will we will make sure that it, it, it will guarantee you uptime. We will provide service and maintenance around it. But it really allows us, again, to work with our customers to add increased, increased features and capabilities over the long term. And actually then to start, you know, kind of, as people require more features and capabilities, that's how they pay for it. So it becomes so actually removing the barriers of adoption to, for our customers. Okay. Well, Philip, um, it's been great talking with you today. We will be following the progress of Carbonics with great interest in the in the years ahead. Philip Vanderberg, CEO of Carbonics, many thanks for coming onto the program today. Thank you very much.